ready? to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech olam, borei pri hagafin, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadonai, Eloheinu melech olam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamoka. Mihamocha ma'elim Adonai, Mihamocha nedar ba'kodesh, Norat ehilot osef elei, 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Asher Natanlanu Et Derech HaYeshua BaMashiach Yeshua. All together, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru Vene Yisrael Et Hashabbat, La Asot Et Hashabbat La Doratam Berit Olam, Bene Ovayan Bene Yisrael Oti Leolam. Keshishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Aronai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtecha, vabeftcha, uvlechtecha, videreh, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu le totafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Yes. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that makes 
this heart of yours, hope of a life's been with Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, you're all together worthy, all together wonderful to King of all days, oh, so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth to create it, all for my sake became poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to together lovely 
You're all together worthy. You're all together wonderful to me. Keep me to your Shabbat Shalom, all of you, and welcome to our broadcast and our program. As you know, we're all beginning a new Torah cycle this year, and uh, this year I've decided to teach to you the Haftor portions to go along with the Torah portions, and so uh, I pray that this will be a blessing to you. I've taught the Haftor sessions uh, publicly one other time before, but the guys came to me and said they'd like to see me uh, do it again and so I'm happy to do so. This week is Shabbat Bereshit, the very first portion uh, for the Torah and Genesis 1. Of course, it's the story of creation, and the portion that is selected from the prophets uh, concerning this, the parallel portion for the Haftorah, comes from Isaiah chapter 42, and I'm very excited to share Isaiah 42 with you. You're going to see immediately why this portion has been selected to be taught along with uh, Bereshit, of the creation story. Uh, and, but then it's going to shift to a very interesting subject, which is one of my favorite subjects to share with you all uh, out of the Scriptures. So let's proceed with Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 5, and it extends all the way into chapter 43, the portion that we have. So at verse 5 it says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you uh, as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and to those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things will come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Now, obviously, the reason why this passage has been selected is because there's this direct reference to God who created the heavens and the earth. So that is what ties back to Bereshit. But the prophet here makes a, makes a very interesting shift. And before I really explain that, let me also reiterate with you, when we study the Torah and we study the Hebrew Scriptures, there are four levels to understanding the Scripture. One is the, what we call the Peshat, the plain sense of the text. What, what does the text say? 
Uh, the second one is called the remez level, and that's called the hint level. In other words, it hints at something, and the idea is for you to understand what is it that it's hinting at. Then the next one is the drosh, and that's where we get the term midrosh, where we uh, study to the point that we understand its principles and its truths so that we can repeat those truths and operate on them. And then finally, there is the sod level, the mysteric, mysterious, or sometimes called the esoteric level of it, in which that's where we see a lot of interesting things that doesn't line up with just normal academic literature, where it shows that God is very definitely involved in authoring and expressing himself uh, to us. There is a powerful, very powerful, remez level in this passage of Scripture, meaning there's a hint to the Messiah. And let me read again now. We talked about the creation. Let me again repeat to you uh, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Now, being called in righteousness, that could be Israel. That could be the believers. But it also could be the Messiah. I will also uphold you by the hand and watch over you. Definitely could be Israel, could be the Messiah. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people. Wait a minute. We just shifted gears now. We're not talking about Israel. We're talking about someone who's to become a covenant with Israel. I would like to remind all of you that the Messiah came and gave us the new covenant. And he's hinting at this person would bring the covenant to the people and a light to the nations. And that is certainly true. The testimony of Yeshua of Nazareth as the Messiah has become a light to the nations. And there are many people in the world that have heard about God's redemption and the God of Israel as a result of the testimony of Yeshua of Nazareth, whom we believe to be the Messiah. Verse 7, even more direct to open blind eyes. The Messiah definitely did that. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. The whole work of redemption done by the Messiah is clearly to um, bring people out of darkness, bring them out of sin, uh, and give them life that God wants to give to us with salvation and a hope and a future. And this is the testimony of Yeshua of Nazareth. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and now I declare new things. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Right now, he was the prophet proclaiming well in advance that's literally, that God is going to do something wonderful. And that something wonderful was he was going to bring forth the Messiah. That by bringing forth the Messiah, he was going to help people that are blind to see, and later you read people that were deaf to be able to hear, those that were entrapped, those that were enslaved will be set free. Everything that we know redemption to be. The biblical definition of redemption is to purchase someone out of slavery. And that is certainly what the Messiah has done. That's certainly what the testimony of Yeshua of Nazareth is all about. So then he, having set that up, he's then going to 
shift into an even more, shall we say, positive gear. He's going to gear up, and this is where it gets very interesting uh, from this. Now, again, this is the Hoftal portion that goes with the creation. He is saying that there's something going to be created that's going to come forth, that's going to be new, just like we saw the original creation with um, the earth, the universe, um, all the things of the earth. He said, he, he said there's something going to come forth. And he introduces it in verse 10 by saying this, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, your, you islands and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices, the settlements where Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah um, sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout, and yes, he shall raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. So the language here, going back to the creation, is from the sea to the islands to the coastlands to the wilderness, all that God created from all of those places shout forth something incredible is going to happen. What's going to happen? There's someone going to come forth and it's going to defeat God's enemies. And that's part of the great story of the Messiah. When the Messiah came out of the grave in the resurrection, he proved he had the power over death. And the power of death is the tool of the enemy. It's the tool of Hasatan. But by defeating that, he has defeated Hasatan. And now it's just down to um, taking the list of, of who's on God's side and who's not on God's side uh, for the final conclusion, which leads to what we call the final redemption. And the prophecy is going to shift now not just to the redemption uh, uh, that took place when the Messiah came and, and set up the theology that we understand of being born again and being saved from our sins, but how it's going to build toward the end to reveal God in a much more powerful way and establish his kingdom. And of course, to do that, he needs to gather all of his servants and bring all the people back to be a part of it while he defeats his enemies as a great warrior. So verse 14 now shifts into that mode. Listen to what he has to say here. I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both gasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and the hills and wither all their vegetation. And I will make the rivers into coastlands and dry up the ponds. Now, that sounds like cataclysmic upheaval on the earth, which, oh, by the way, that is completely consistent with the great tribulation and the prophecy we have there. The Messiah himself used the same analogy leading up to the great tribulation as being birth pangs, that the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the final redemption, waiting for the restoring of all things that God will do, associated with the end of the age, and associated with the day of the Lord. 
So he's making reference to that, saying this incredible thing is going to be associated with that. And it says, verse 16, And I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths that they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them uh, and, ri- and rugged places into high places. Now, that's language that is consistent with what we call escaping, and, and that's the same kind of language that was used about um, Israel coming out of Egypt on their journey to the Promised Land. Continuing on in verse 16, These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. They shall be turned back and be utterly put to shame, who trust in idols, who say to molten images, you are our gods. This conflict is going to be against, God is going to be opposed to those that will not recognize him as being the one and only true God. They have other gods. They've made themselves into God. They've made idols of molten metals and so forth. They have they have um, changed the glory of God into something else. And God is upset with that. He considers them to be his enemies, and he's going to be dealing with them. Verse 18, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or so deaf as my messenger whom I sin? Who is so blind as he that is at peace with me, or so blind at the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and despoiled, and all of them are trapped in caves or are hidden away in prisons, and they have become prey with none to deliver them and spoil with none to say, give them back. So what is going on there? Well, we talk, we're talking about the birth pangs. We're talking about leading to the great tribulation. We're talking about something wonderful coming forth. And all of a sudden, he says to a group of people that are referring to themselves as the servants of God. And he says to him, he said, uh, why can't you see? He said, why can't you hear? said, you know, and, and essentially he, he makes a center point about this. Don't you know that my law is glorious? They don't see that. They, do, they can't hear it. Uh, they, they, they can't come to terms with that. Today in modern Christianity, the religion that took over a couple of centuries after the resurrection of Yeshua, after the apostles weren't around anymore, Christianity took a twist and a turn. It moved away from Israel, moved away from the people who brought forth the Messiah, and they began to make their own identity. And as you know, throughout church history, one of the key tenets of their faith is separation from the things of Israel, separation from the, quote, Old Testament, separation from the law. And they are proceeding forth, and God is basically saying to him, you are blind. You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. I I relate to this description because as a teacher of the Torah, 
as, as a, a Christian believer who's gone through the transition and become messianic and now sees both sides of this, I'm telling you right now, on the other side, just being a Christian, not understanding the Torah, you're a blind man. You're a blind man with what God is doing even today. And when we try to share with those folks, a lot of them, they have ears, but they can't hear it. They, have, they, they, they can't even begin to understand what in the world is this all about. Um, going back to Bereshit, going back to the creation story, uh, I'll give you an example. If you go through the rest of Bereshit, you're going to find out that God also created marriage between a man and a woman. We live in a world today where there are people in the world, leaders in this world, who are taking issue with that declaration made by God. They think that they can define marriage, and they think that marriage isn't just between a man and a woman. It can be between two men or two women or or some guy who used to be a man but who's become a woman or a guy who used to be a woman who became a guy. Uh, we have so much confusion at this point, and it's befuddling. And the reason why we have it is because even though they claim to be believers of the Messiah, they don't understand what Bereshit specifically, they don't understand what the law gave us. The laws of God, the Creator's rules on how to live in His creation. And so in doing so, what they've done is they've tried to annul the Creator. They've tried to annul the creation. Now, God's great plan, uh, if we step back from a moment and take the, the big view, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, put man in it, but the enemy came in, deceived man, and entered death. And so God has been coming up with a plan on how to overcome this, this issue. And uh, part of it had to do that he had to establish a people uh, specifically the nation of Israel, to bring forth the Redeemer so that it would be for the benefit of all the people. He brought forth the, the nation, he brought forth the people, and he established his laws, his rules of life for it so that man could be redeemed out of this dilemma and we could get back to where he originally made us, and that was that we wouldn't be simple mortals that get born and then die that we would continue on with him to be a part of his creation. Well, this passage of Scripture is dealing with, at this moment, the conflict that has been come forth because death entered the world. And we still see the remnants in a theological way. We still see people, even though they come and they sound off the words of God, that are still subject to literally being theological mortals, they're not transitioning into the immortal state. And people who reject the Torah are those that are not going to be a part of what was the original creation. The most scary words that I know of in the New Testament are in Matthew chapter 7, 
where Yeshua, specifically speaking of the ultimate judgment at the end, said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will be entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, he lists off three things those people are going to say that they have a testimony of. They've done miracles in his name. They've done many good works in his name. They've even had cast out demons in his name. In other words, they've done great spiritual work. And yet, he says to them, I don't know you. Depart from me, ye who are lawless. You know, just like this says here, the contrast is you see, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Why? Because you cannot understand to make the law great and glorious. You can't get it. You can't get the original instruction that began back with the creation. And God began to give instructions to mankind all the way back in Bereshit, which later became the Torah given to Moses and the children of Israel. And by the way, one of the things that the law does is it reiterates when it comes to the fourth commandment of Sabbath, it reminds everybody of the creation, how God used six days, he labored to create, and on the seventh day he rested. And in fact, we call it the commandment of remembrance in the law because it says, remember to keep the Sabbath holy. You were supposed to already know about Sabbath when you learned about the original creation. You were supposed to already glean out. That's the drosh level, if you will, the principle, the truth level. Reading the creation story, if it says that God rested on the seventh day, then you better be resting on the seventh day if you're going to be a part of God. Um, And we've lost that. We've lost the connection. We've lost the sense of that uh, for it. And so thus the prophet says, you have eyes but you can't see and you have ears but you can't hear. We go on further. And he talks about that the people, they should be in good shape, but no, they are despoiled, he says. They are prey for the enemy. He goes on verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give need and listen hereafter? Who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to be plundered? Was it not the Lord against whom they sinned and in whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose laws they did not obey? By the way, before I go any further, did we see that? Did we see the descendants of Jacob forget the Lord, walk away from the Lord, and in particular... Did we see them walk away from his law and his commandments? The answer is yes. What happened to them? What God do them? Gave them over to their enemies. Not blessings. He gave them curses. He let them have to settle with what they had done to themselves. And by the way, the logic here is if he did this with if he did this with Jacob and with his descendants. What do you think he's going to do with the present-day believers today? You proclaim that Yeshua is the Messiah, but you do not do what his commandments say. What do you think is going to happen to you that is different from what happened to Jacob and his descendants? Well, I can tell you what the answer is. Nothing. There is going to be no difference. If you saw Israel being judged by God, then you will see us being judged by God. I would submit to you 
that the present day that we're living in, the trauma that this country is going through, the trauma that we see in a lot of Christians, nations, that we're going through. You know, God is the creator of all things. He controls all things. Is God allowing those things to happen to us? Is God judging us by those things? Well, given the fact that that's the way he dealt with Jacob and his descendants in the past, why, why wouldn't we believe? Why wouldn't we believe that we too are being judged right now as a people and as a nation? Because we've walked away from him. We don't listen to him anymore. We claim to know him. We, we sound off his name, but we don't know him and he does not know us. And we certainly don't understand uh, what in the world is going on. Verse 25, he's echoing what he did to Jacob. He said, so I poured out on him the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle and set him aflame all around. Yet he did not recognize it and it burned him, but he paid no attention. By the way, that's what we've seen in the history of Israel. Um, you know, they get scattered in the nations. Did they repent? Did they repent and say, oh God, we've sinned against you. We've killed your, our Messiah, destroyed all of our prophets. You know, did they repent? No. In fact, even still to this day, you cannot get major chunks of the Jewish population to admit that the Holocaust was permitted by God and that it was permitted because of our sin against God. They, they can't come to terms with it. It's just like what he says here, you do not recognize it and you've paid no attention to it whatsoever. Well, if you're not paying attention to the Lord, even in that state, you know, what is your hope? What, what chance do you have? Chapter 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, that's a pretty positive statement. Obviously, the people aren't going to be doing something to restore all these things. The restoration is going to come from God. And he goes on to say, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I loved you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold back. What is being discussed here? What's being discussed is what we call the greater exodus. See, God, after he scattered us into the nations, he realizes the only way we're going to make it back to the promised land is if he does something incredible. And just like he brought our ancestors out of Egypt, he's going to bring us out of this world. It's called the greater Exodus. And there are many other passages of scriptures that talk about this. The other prophets talk about this. It's about how the, the, the last generation of saints will be brought forward 
through the time called the Great Tribulation. They'll be delivered out of all of the trauma that's going on, and they will make their way back to the Promised Land to be part of the Messianic Kingdom. It continues on, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name and whom I've created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even those that have ears. All the nations have gathered together in order that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he and before me there is no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there's no Savior besides me. One of the things that I try to emphasize when we talk about the end times, the great tribulation, the greater exodus out of it, you're not going to save yourself. You don't have the capacity, the ability, and even a bunch of you band together. You can't save yourselves. You are getting ready to see the one true Savior emerge, and it's going to be our God. And he's going to deliver us out of the midst of all that's going on. And guess what we are going to then understand? That that creator, God, who started this whole thing, he has even more power than to create the entire universe. He has the power to deliver his people in the midst of the hands of the enemy, in the midst of all manner of judgments that coming forth. In a strange sort of way, and the reason why this ties into Bereshit, we're going to have a new beginning. And we're going to sing a new song, and we're going to get to be in the kingdom with the Messiah the one that has been rejected by others and where people just, they can't hear it, they can't see it. And even those amongst our brethren who can't see and understand the Torah, God's even going to be delivering them, praise the Lord. And they'll see. And so it's looking for who can declare these things. We who are Messianic believers, we're his witnesses that proclaim to the world and to the brethren that if you'll follow the commandments of the Lord. If you listen to what the Lord says, He is our God and He will deliver us. So that's our Haftor for Bereshit. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, to chapter 22, at the end of the book, where we will be giving the Brit Hadashah teaching for the portion of Bereshit. As we have heard in the instruction of Bereshit, we all know that this is, of course, the instruction for the beginning of the world, the way that God created the heavens and the earth and how he created the first man, Adam, and Eve, his wife, and we know the whole story of the original sin. Now, in the course of teaching the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament teaching of the Torah, there are traditional readings that have been tied to the Torah portion. 
Some of these have been uh, created just because of a, or, or mentioned because of a reference back to some principle or commandment or story of the Torah portion. Some of them, however, have a little bit more of a deeper parallel or a deeper meaning. And what I hope to do in the course of teaching the Brit Hadashah portions for this year is to share the principles of the Torah portion through the New Testament, not only with the traditional readings that have been listed for us, that whenever you go to a look up the Torah cycle, there will be traditional passages, but also I will endeavor to bring out other passages of Scripture that truly will teach us more the depth and the power of the Word of the Lord that comes from the Torah, from the Law of Moses. Now, as you can already tell, things are going to be a little bit different, as I've instructed you to now turn to Revelation chapter 2 to the very end of the book. As though we were starting to teach Bereshit, and we were teaching in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can turn to page 1 of your Bible to begin this instruction. One of the traditional readings for this Torah portion is Revelation chapter 22 the very end of the book, the very end of the Scripture as we know it, the Word of God, talking about the new heaven and the new earth and how God will come and Yeshua will return and reign with us on this earth. Why do we go all the way to the end? Well, we have a passage in Isaiah 46, verse 10, where it says the Lord has the ability to declare the ends from the beginning and from the beginning and from ancient times, teaching things that are not yet to come. And so that means God, in His power, in His infinite wisdom, can speak something in the beginning and speak to the end, and can speak something about the end and that will trace us all the way back to the beginning. That's the power of the Word of God, that He is all-powerful. He exists outside of time, that when He speaks, it penetrates time and space and can minister to you directly in the here and now. He can also speak something in ancient times that has profound meaning into the future, and He will say things in the future and will do things in the future that point us all the way back to the beginning. That's the power of the Lord. That's the power of His Word, power of His instruction. That actually encourages me in the Hebrew Roots Movement where many people who have come to this faith, come to a walk of following Torah, keeping Torah, all did so because they started by hearing the testimony of Yeshua in a Sunday church. They heard the testimony of Yeshua. They've given their heart and their life to Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. Then they're going back and then learning Torah. How is it that, that it's, it's possible that this is the way that God works? Well, God has the ability to declare the ends from the beginning. And he has the, uh, the ability to teach us through the testimony of Yeshua, then knowing what we, how we then need to live with the commandments of Torah. I truly believe this, that the love that we learn in the testimony of the New Testament and the testimony of Yeshua is necessary for us to truly understand and keep Torah. It doesn't matter whether it chronologically came after the giving of the Torah to Moses and Mount Sinai. We must learn the love of Yeshua and that the, the foundation of all of the commandments is love. As the Messiah said, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to also love your neighbor as yourself. And on all the law hang these two commandments. And at their core is the commandment of love. We have to learn this from the New Testament and from the testimony of Yeshua. Here in Revelation 22, we have the revelation of John that is speaking to, uh, that, that God is revealing himself to him and revealing things that are going to happen all the way into the kingdom, all the way in to the new Jerusalem.
Let me read here, uh, beginning in our passage here, Revelation 22, beginning at verse 6, and let us hear the words that conclude all of Scripture. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. But when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. For who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold... I am coming quickly, says the Messiah, and he is he speaking, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit of the bride said, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Yeshua. The grace of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, be with you all. Amen. What an amazing, powerful words as you, if you, if you have committed your life to reading the scripture and you come to the end of these words, I love, absolutely love the way the Bible ends. I really do. Because he speaks and he goes back to the beginning. He's talking about saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Well, obviously, he was a Hebrew God speaking to a Hebrew man. He would not have said Alpha and Omega. He would have said Aleph and Tav. I am the beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning. He is here at the end. And fundamentally, it goes back to very specific commandments. Blessed are those who keep his commandments. If, they, if you obey the Lord, you have a right to the tree of life. But if you add to or take away from the commandments, then God will take away from you or add plagues upon you. This is going back to the commandment and the instruction. Do not add to or take away from his word. This is great to read after completing the Torah cycle as a, as a capstone to all of it to know, look, the Lord ends on this thing about keeping Torah as well, keeping his commandments. Some might advocate, some who teach out of the New Testament on a regular basis might advocate that the Torah is not for us today anymore, that it's null and void, it's for Israel alone. 
Yet here at the end of the revelation of John, here at the end of our Holy Scripture that has been given to us for us to read and to hear the Word of God and to know the character of God, once again reiterates, blessed are those who keep my commandments. That's a primer for keeping Torah. The Torah is the commandments and the instruction of God. He is teaching us to follow these words. As we begin a new Torah cycle, we must always remember the whole goal is for us to follow and obey Him, to keep His commandments. He is God, and He has given us His Word. Now, right there, He also says this, If you keep my commandments, then I will give you the right to the tree of life. Well, guess what? That ties directly back to the original sin. Because what was it? Adam was given one commandment. One specific thing, to not eat of the fruit of the tree. And what he did? He committed that one sin. He broke the commandment. And guess what he lost? His right to the tree of life. Remember what the word said, what the angel said? The angel then had to guard. He was banished to the east and had to guard the path to the tree of life so that Adam could not go into the garden to eat of that fruit. Why? Because it was said that eating of that fruit, of that tree, would grant eternal life. Well, guess what? He just ate the fruit of the wrong tree, the tree he was not supposed to eat, brought in sin and death into the world and into the heart of man so that man has become inherently sinful. We don't want a man who is inherently sinful to have the right to the tree of life to live forever, because then that would make sin live forever. When we obey the commandments of the Lord, we cast away the sin. Sin does not belong in the presence of God. And for us to live eternal with our God must be in a sinless state. That is why we had to be cut off from the tree of life. And that is why we have to know and understand and keep the commandments of God. Another reading for Bereshit that comes from the New Testament is also John 1. The Gospel of John, he very clearly states, in, in, it was the last of the Gospels, it's not considered the, one of the synoptic Gospels, but there is a stated goal and truth to why John wrote this Gospel. Is that so that we might know that Yeshua is the Messiah. This is what he said. And he connects directly to the start of Scripture as he starts his gospel. And this will also tie back into something else that we heard in Revelation. So if you would turn with me to John 1. And here I will read the first 14 verses that are the instruction that ties to the creation of the world and the Word of God and hence the Messiah himself. John 1, "...in the beginning was the Word." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His, His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, of the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> Here we have John beginning the gospel, and he connects it to the beginning as well. He starts from the beginning when he's giving this instruction. When he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now we know, all can quote the first verse of the Bible and say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He he created all of those things. And I'm also reminded of Colossians 1.16, where it says that all things were created through him and of him, and that was Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua was there at the beginning. That is what the New Testament testifies to us. And for us to understand that or comprehend that, well, there's only one way and one conclusion that we can draw if Yeshua was at the beginning. That means Yeshua was God. Yeshua was God. He was part of God, but however, God is a unified one. The parts are always interconnected. They're always uh, connected to each other. We struggle as human beings to to understand this about God because we ourselves are not one. There are parts that make us who we are. There are parts that make us, uh, your body is is you, your spirit is you, your soul is you. All of those things are you, and they all come together, and they inhabit the same vessel that is your body. And that's who you are. But now are those things all in unison with one another? Are they aligned? Is the body always healthy? Is the spirit and your thoughts, your emotions, are those things always healthy? Of course not. We're not one. We're not whole. But God is. We tend to put God in our box to try and understand how that we are separate, we are broken, but God is not broken. So why would we use a broken definition to define something that is unbroken? God is whole and God is one and Yeshua was there at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. Now, remember what it said back in Revelation where it said, he said that I'm the Alpha and the Omega, but I corrected that to say that in the Hebrew, he said he is the Aleph and the Tav. Well, that connects directly back to Genesis 1.1. Anybody who's been sat in any Torah teaching, teaching from Genesis 1, you might have heard this teaching before, but it still is amazing, powerful, and profound even to, the, even to the people that might write it off as just being something to do with grammar or the way that Hebrew is written, you still cannot question how fascinating it is that this is laid out the way that it is. If you turn back to Genesis 1 and you read the very first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, in the Hebrew, it reads as seven Hebrew words that says, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, Bereshit created bara God, Elohim, et, which doesn't have an English translation, Hashemayim, the heavens, va'et, and the ha'aretz, the earth. We have seven Hebrew words that are all listed for us, and one of them is not translated for us. The one right there in the dead center of the verse. It is the Hebrew conjunction et which in the grammar of it, what it does is it's simply, uh, it's a word that is placed in the middle of a sentence to basically indicate that the verb is performed by the noun that is stated previously before it. So when it says in the beginning created God, that doesn't mean that God was created. It means that et then reads that says, no, God is the one who created what then follows. And so that's the way it's a, it's a conjunction. It's just like it's the equivalent in the American uh, English as a comma. 
that some would say. And so whenever somebody might say that, hey, there's significance to this et, which is spelled Aleph Tav, that is in the middle of the first verse of the Bible, there's significance to it. And some people might say, oh, that, what are you talking? That's just a comma in the middle of the sentence. Well, I could understand that if, you know, we were saying that, okay, um, yeah, the, it's, it's just a comma, it's just this, that might not mean anything, except for unless at some point later in time, God declared and spoke through a prophet or spoke and said, I am the comma. If God said, I am the comma, you might say, oh, uh, that, well, that sounds kind of weird, but wouldn't you then might take note of every time you see a comma in the scripture then, if God ever said that? Yeah, you probably would if he had, if he said that. Now, that sounds a little facetious, of course, and because God didn't say I'm the comma, then that would be kind of weird for you to say that. But if he said, I am the Aleph and the Tav, well, then wouldn't you take note every time you see Aleph and Tav put together? You should. And so then, at that point, if you believe in the New Testament and the Scripture and the teaching that is written there, and if you believe God said, I am the Aleph and the Tav, then you better take note when you see an Aleph and a Tav. So then when you start your new reading in the Torah cycle and you read the first verse in Hebrew, that et suddenly takes on a great deal of meaning. John says, in the beginning was the Word. Well, guess what? The et is a word. And it says the word was with God. Oh, wait, by the way, that's sitting right next to the Hebrew word Elohim, which means God. The word was with God and the word was God. Here we have, we almost, we already have established the plurality, the plural nature of God already from the very first verse of Scripture. Because he has taught and said that I am the Aleph and the Tav, he also is God, Elohim, and both of those are in the first verse verse of the scripture. Something else that's also very fascinating. It's the fourth word of the first verse of the Bible. Bereshit bara Elohim, three words, et, hashmaim va'et ha'aret. Right there in the middle, right in the dead center of the sentence. You can't, you, you couldn't like target it any better in the first verse. And you know what else is interesting and fascinating? If we're talking about seven Hebrew words, seven is the plan of God. There are seven days of creation. We've taught many times in the previous years the parallel between the seven days of creation and the seven millennia of the world in the sense that God created, separated light and darkness on the first day. That was when Adam sinned and separated light and darkness and separated sin and brought sin into the world. Then the waters were separated from the waters. And so then that's what happened on the second day. And then Noah came in the second millennia and there was the great worldwide flood and so on and so forth. And you can parallel every single millennia to a day of creation from when God planted seed or seed yielding plants, and that that is when we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their seed going in, that through his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then luminaries and the stars in the sky, stars of the heavens, and that's when the times of the kings and the prophets are there. And then when new creatures were created, then the Messiah came and made us new creatures before him. In all of the days of creation, and then day six, God made man and told man to have dominion over the earth. And in the last thousand years, man has absolutely dominated the earth with technological advances. And this is most definitely the information age and the age of man. Then what we're looking forward to is the Lord returning in the year 6,000 and a thousand-year millennial reign and a thousand-year millennial rest, the Sabbath of millennia. 
which is what God did on the seventh day. One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And this is what is taught from the very first chapter of Scripture and declaring the ends from the very beginning. Well, I said all of that to say this. The pattern of sevens is profound. So go back to the very first verse. Seven letters, and guess what? The fourth is the Aleph and the Tav. What millennia did the Messiah come again? When did he come? The fourth, at the end of the fourth millennia. You might not have noticed this already, but what was the sixth word of the first verse? Va'et, which basically means and, where it's like the heavens and the earth, va'et. But you know how va'et is spelled? <laughs> With a vav in front of an aleph and a tav. It's like we all, you can say here in the scripture, and the Vav represents and really means and. Anytime there's a Hebrew word that begins with a, with a V or a V sound, you're saying and. That's why many of our Torah portions are titled, uh, like it starts with a uh, Vayashev. It's like and. It always begins with and. And so there we have, in the first verse, we have et, and then we have and, Aleph Tav here. On the sixth Hebrew word, what a fascinating thing. If the Messiah, who said he was the Aleph and the Tav, came at the end of the fourth millennia, and he's also going to return at the end of the sixth millennia, then we have that teaching and instruction in the very first verse of Scripture. God is declaring the ends from the beginning, and he says he is the Aleph Tav. He is the Word. He is the beginning and the end. And we are instructing what will happen in the future from the very first verse of the Bible. What an amazing, powerful thing that that is. I believe John knew this. I believe he understood these things. When all of this instruction had happened and that he was the one who received the revelation, and he was the one, it's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and he says in the beginning was the Word, and he absolutely saw and took note of that Aleph Tav that is found at the beginning of every Torah scroll. You better believe that he did. And, then it's, and, and he is iterating that here in this scripture, talking in, at the very start of his gospel, understanding that in him was created all things. Yeshua was there at the beginning. He is the creator. He is a part of God. And this is the thing that in all of this teaching and instruction, only God could do this. Only God could say what Yeshua said. When Yeshua said, before Abraham was, I am, that he was there even before Abraham. Well, that would put him there in the first couple of chapters of Genesis then, now wouldn't it? And that he was there the whole time. Yeshua was God. Yeshua is God. Remember, he exists outside of time, was and is, is a human construct. And he was there. This is the other thing that I like to correct anytime I hear people talking about the creation of the world. Have you ever heard somebody say that the world was created from nothing? That he, that, that, and that's what the evolutionists will think, and the Big Bang Theory is that you know, there was nothing, and then something sort of formed, and some atoms, I guess, clustered together and spun so fast and then exploded, and, and all these different kinds of things like that. <clears throat> and that the world was created from nothing. I 100% disagree that the world was created from nothing. I don't believe God made the world from nothing. I believe God created the world from the only something that ever existed before the world. That was God. So when the New Testament testifies in multiple places, not only Colossians 1.6, also here at the beginning of John, 
where it says all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. That means without him, God, as the raw material, if you will, though I feel kind of bad saying that and equating it to God, that taking God and making the world. That's how it was made. That the very life that God gives to all things, you can see it in the world. And that's how we should view the world as well, as anybody who is a believer in God, a follower of of Him, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and believe in a Creator. And this even goes so far down to the arguments and the certain people. There there are some people who are more secular in nature, yes, but they do believe in intelligent design, that there there is a complexity in the creation and in life that cannot be explained by accident. It could not be produced by accident. That there is a complexity in the, the very foundation of ourselves and in our life, in our life that cannot be explained without the manipulation or the, the influence of some kind of intelligence. Even scientists are starting to catch up to this idea that the world was made through him and of God. He made it, and he made it from himself. I think, I also believe this, that there are many religions in the world, man-made religions, that try to find God in the places of creation. Anybody who's like maybe worships uh, uh, Mother Nature, as they like to call it, or that thinks the trees are God, what it is is there's, there's an aspect of that is that the trees were made of God, but they're not God. We're not supposed to worship the trees even though they are made of God. And then the even worse part of that is this, is people who worship themselves, people who worship man or idolize maybe a particular man or some man that stands up that proclaims himself to be God. Well, you know what? We are made in the image of God. God has given us that privilege and has lifted us up above all other aspects of creation and that we can learn about God by looking at ourselves, but that does not make us God. What did that say back in Revelation? When it was talking about that that, that uh, John fell down and he worshipped the angel that was giving him the instruction and he said, see that you do not do that. I am a fellow servant. I am of your brethren, the prophets. Keep the word. Worship God. Don't worship me. Everything else in creation, that must be its testimony. I guarantee you, if a tree could speak... It would say, don't worship me. I am but another servant of the God who made me. Don't worship me, worship God. And that's what creation does, is creation does every branch that waves in the wind or wheat that waves in a field. You can look at it and say, that is the creation praising God to glorify God in that it was created. All of it points back to the Lord. All of it points back to the God that created it. And we were all made for the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's why we're on this earth. That's why God made us, made this planet, made us. Some might question, I always love bringing this up, and I love if if anybody ever hears this, and hopefully if they have a better answer, that's fine. I would always love to hear this discussion. But this is the thing that helps me in the course of my life. Because some people might think that believing in God 
who is loving, compassionate, who loves the world, and that all of this world could have been a much better place if Adam hadn't sinned. So some might look to the Lord and question and say, well, why did you put that tree there, Lord? Why did you make the capacity for man to sin? If, if you hadn't done that, then we would have all just been living in peace and in harmony and in the garden and with all the and just amazing life that, and the paradise that God created in Eden. The thing is this, and God knows this, God knows our human nature, and I think God even, this is sort of even within the nature of God, is that still when you make something, you still want it to have value. You want to understand when something is good, you want to know how good it is. If all you've ever known is peace, prosperity, paradise, then how do you know that it's good at all? You have nothing to contrast it with. Truth is established by two or three witnesses, and sometimes a witness is something that is a counter-argument to something else. The world is a more interesting place because we have the contrast. How do you know what light is without the darkness? Darkness cannot comprehend the light, but how do you know what light is if the darkness isn't there in the first place? Sin has been brought into the world through our father Abraham. Oh, sorry, not Abraham, Adam. (laughs) Adam brought sin into the world. And that in doing so, created a world that, let's be frank, is a more interesting world to live in. God does not want to just create a bunch of robots that run on His whim, that move and go and travel, they do this, they die, this one then is built, and then that one does its function and it dies. And if God just wanted that, what kind of world would that be? What kind of world would, was that a world you want to live in? Do you want to be one of those robots that just gets played with by some all-powerful force above you? Of course not. God wants us to choose Him, and so He gives us the choice. The choice of life and blessing, or sin and death. This is how we concluded the Torah cycle. This is what Moses was talking about back in Deuteronomy. Choosing life or choosing death. You have the choice. Sin and death and darkness has been brought into the world and has been created. There it is, right there. You can look outside and you can see it. You know what else you can see when you look outside? You can also see goodness. You can see the love of the Lord. You can see God in all of the creation. And you can see kindness and peace and evidences of His Spirit, a good spirit, living in the lives of your brethren. And so you can make that choice because these things have happened. Because God made the world the way that He did. I hope that that would encourage us to then make that choice. Not to just throw up our arms and say, Lord, the choice is too hard. I can't make that choice. I wish you had just made it easier on everybody else. That is not the testimony of a believer. And that is not the testimony of a person who has been called to stand up rightly before the Lord and to live their life. Anybody that might think that, you know what you might say to that person? It's time to grow up. It's time to adult. It's time to do what you have to do because that's the whining of a child that just wants things to be easy, just wants what we want. Now, are we children of God? Yes, we are. As a believer, we are brought in into the inheritance of the family of God that we are believers and followers of God because he has a, because if we choose him. That's what it said right here at the beginning of John, once again. It's that we were all done this so that we would, we would have the right to become children of God, of those who believe in His name. It's not about being born of flesh. It's not about being born of the will of man. 
but it's about being born of God and being in the family of God, which that's what it said. Wasn't that what it said that there in Romans that, that, that Paul was teaching us that it was, it was talking about how we must become sons of the living God. We become heirs to the kingdom that we become, that we have then rights to the inheritance and the blessing that God has given to us so that we might be in the family of God. Well, you know what it takes to form a new family or to be in a new family? It takes action and it takes the choice of somebody. To form that covenant relationship with God, you have to make the choice to choose Him because He chose us first. He created us. We must make the choice to choose Him. Same thing with a husband and wife. I guarantee you they both had to choose each other before they came into covenant. And if you're going to adopt somebody into that family, that takes the action, that takes the choice of the master, of the head of the house, to take somebody who is in need of an inheritance, who is in need of blessing, and bringing them into the family and forming that covenant. Guess what? That's what God said He would do for us. That's what God created a means for us to do. Through the testimony of of the Messiah, for us to be in the family of God. And through His teachings, we become sons of the living God. However, the thing with sons and the thing with children is that those children have to grow up sometime. You don't remain a child. You don't remain, you know, this, this, this innocent little thing of a baby that can't, that, that can't control your own faculties. We grow, we mature over time. So why in the world would mature believers who have believed in the Lord for the majority of their life ever somehow come back and say, well, why isn't the world an easier place? Because they want it back to what they're still a child. That is the spiritual immaturity of somebody who was has not learned what it is to follow the commandments of God. They might as well be back in the garden, and they might as well be Adam. Just take Adam out of the garden and put that spiritually immature person in Adam's place, and I guarantee you this, we'd still have sin and death in the world. They'd make the same mistake Adam made. They would have still eaten of that fruit because that person has not learned and has not grown past the garden. He hasn't learned anything from the original sin. That's what we have to do. When we study Bereshit and we look at the original sin, that's the first commandment that was broken. If you can't get past the fact that it's like, okay, Lord, um, if I was there, if I was given one commandment to follow, I would have followed it. If you still have the spiritual immaturity to not know what's going on, to not know when the Lord is speaking, to not understand these things, well, then you're no better than Adam back in the garden. Guess what? Adam was the most spiritually immature man that has ever lived. Well, I should say that he was at least the first. He was the first spiritually immature man who did not obey his God who created him. Are we just like Adam? Do we endeavor to be like Adam? Do we want to be the one who gets blamed for bringing sin and death into the world? Because there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to pass that blame on to Adam, and a lot of people who's not probably not, not very happy with Adam. So why would we do what Adam did? Why would we be that spiritually mature to not obey God? Yes, in the testimony, we become sons of the living God. But I pray that we would grow and that we would mature beyond being children, beyond being just young sons, but that we mature to be heirs to the kingdom and to be worthy of receiving that inheritance. That's what God wants from us. That's who God wants us to be. 
And how we get there is by following the testimony and patterning our life after the one who was the most spiritually mature man that ever walked this earth. And that was Yeshua the Messiah. Guess what? Yeshua is also called the second Adam. That's what he's called in Corinthians. So when he says that Adam was the first, and all the failures can be seen crystal clear in who Adam was, and all the successes of who Adam could have been with the Messiah Yeshua, there's the floor, there's the ceiling. Where do you fall? Are you closer to the floor? Are you only living up your life to a certain potential and only getting so far in life? Or are you excelling in life? Are you excelling in what God and the blessings have given to you and that you are everything that we do should be closer to the ceiling, to the capacity of us to do good? We have Adam at the bottom and the Messiah at the top. I guarantee you all of us fall somewhere in between. I pray that none of us are as bad as Adam, and I know it's not possible for any of us to be as good as Yeshua. But let us follow the leading of the right one. Let us not admire Adam, even though he had an amazing peaceful life in the garden, and all he had to do was tend to it and live there with his wife, running around naked. Some people might say, that sounds like a great idea. But no, that's not the world we live in, unfortunately. Instead, we live in a world where there's a lot of unclean things, a lot of terrible people, and the Messiah has the testimony of coming to that world, walking amongst, the, walking amongst it, and we must follow that lead and that Adam. That's who we need to aspire to be. So, for us to spiritually mature and spiritually to grow, that is why we follow this testimony, that is why we teach out of the New Testament, and that is why He is the example and our Lord and Savior that we are to follow in all the principles. He walked out Torah perfectly. The Word, the written Word, is all back at the beginning of the book. You want an actual example of somebody living it out? Here we are, beginning in the Gospels, and that we will continue through our, of our instruction to see how the Messiah truly lived this out. What an example He is for us. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and your instruction. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Yeshua, Lord, and we thank you that we can hear and that it has been recorded what he did, what he said, how he lived. Father, I count it as an amazing blessing, Lord, that we can teach out of this instruction and that I can listen and read and be the one that conveys your word and your instruction. It is not my word, Lord. It is not my, my words that have been written, and it's not my spirit by which I teach. But, Father, I pray you pour out your spirit, your instruction, as your word is proclaimed from this ministry and from this pulpit. So, Father, I pray that we would just continue to follow after your word, follow after the Messiah, his teachings, his instruction, Lord. And we thank you for giving us and sending your Son, your beloved, only begotten Son, Lord, to this earth, to be that example, and to be the payment for our sins and for our mistakes. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for this time, this teaching, this instruction, and for this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah, hey, hey, hey.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.